we are currently in my favorite month of the year because it's December, which means that I can talk about Christmas all I want and nobody can like, you know, tell me to shut up um, or that it's too early. I hear those people that are like, oh, it's too early to talk about Christmas. Personally, I don't think it's ever too early to talk about Christmas, but it's my favorite month of the year because I'm able to live my full-on Christmas spirit, like right out loud. I confess I am one of those people um, that listens to Christmas music at times of the year when some people, there's just some like, you know, relative cultural references coming up on the screen there. If you don't get them, it's okay, but you pro- I watch too much TV, so that's um, probably why. I'm one of those people that listens to Christmas music at times of the year when some people would say that it is unacceptable to listen to Christmas music. Personally, I don't, I don't buy that. I think it's acceptable to listen to Christmas music like in July, you know? I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not ashamed. I don't ask anyone else to participate. I know I don't, I don't ask anyone else to come and join me on that. I'm happy to keep it in my headphones until it comes to December. And then I'm just like full-on Christmas spirit. I also love Christmas carols which is like, probably fairly obvious because they are Christmas songs. Um, but this year, I have been so struck by how weird they are. You know, they're these songs that are really old, quite, like most of them are really old, and we only sing them um, at this time of year. We don't sing them at any other time of year. And we sing about really weird things in Christmas carols. Like at no other time in the year do we sing a worship song that includes the words swaddling bands, Right? We also sing about oxen. So we sing, we're like singing a worship song that talks about cows. We, talk, we sing about shepherds and like stars and kings. And we use words like forthwith and henceforth. Things that we never sing in a song, certainly in our church culture here. Um, sometimes we even sing in Latin randomly, you know, Gloria in Excelsis Deo. And we just let that trip off our tongue as if it's the most normal thing in the world. One of um, my favorites, one of my favorite Christmas carols um, also includes, I think, possibly the laziest line in Christmas carol writing um, ever. It starts off pretty good, but I would just love to know what happened, like halfway through the first verse in this carol. You'll know what we sang it last week. It is actually really nice. In the bleak midwinter, frosty wind made moan, earth stood hard as iron, water like a stone, It's pretty good so far. I mean, it's probably biblically inaccurate because I'm sure that there was not snow and frost in Bethlehem. You know, if if you know otherwise, then I stand corrected. But I'm pretty sure there wasn't. And then, snow had fallen, snow on snow, snow on snow on snow. I mean, I don't know, someone be like, hey, your dinner's ready, can you like hurry up? And he's like, oh, that'll do, you know? I mean, snow's not even that hard a word to rhyme. I'm pretty sure you could work something else in there. I don't know what, I don't know what goes on, but I laugh every time um, I sing that, that carol. So you're welcome, now you're all in on that. So the next time we sing it, then we can all have a good laugh together. Um, the Bible is full of songs. It's full of songs. There's a, the Psalms is like an entire book of songs. There's Song of Solomon. And loads of people in the Bible sing at different points in their lives. And it's recorded for us to read about. So it must be something that's kind of important. King David, he sang. He included music in the religious festivals. Hannah in the Old Testament, she sang whenever she found out she was pregnant against all odds. Moses sang and the angels sang and there's this song, there's this song that is right at the beginning of the Christmas story. 
And I think it's probably um, the best worship song ever written. No offense, guys. Your songs are great. Um, But it's written by a pregnant teenage girl. There's no guitars in sight. Mary, the expectant mother of Jesus. Overwhelmed and overcome by what is happening in her belly. She sings this song. She's staying with her relative Elizabeth, who's also home to another miraculous pregnancy. And she sings this song that hasn't stopped being sung yet. It has been reworked over and over and over again by Vivaldi and by Bach and Rachmaninoff and by you too. That's true, it has. This song um, that she sings, you can find it in Luke, um, in the Bible, Luke chapter 1, verse 47. I'm going to read the first part of it. It'll be on the screen as well. She sings this, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior. Note that it's my spirit, my soul. It's not my mind, my body, my mouth. Mary is rejoicing with the deepest part of herself. So this is a deep rejoicing. It's not fleeting. For he has been mindful of the humble states of his servant. And she's not just being modest here. Mary is really young. You know, she's young and she's a woman. She's a girl. She's from a small town that's like a nowhere place. Nazareth was thought to have like two, three, four hundred people in it. Everyone knows everyone. It's not, um, not a happening place. And yet, despite all of those odds, God has been mindful of her. God has seen her. He has remembered her. He has chosen her. He has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. She knows that this isn't just for her. Right now, she might suffer some ridicule, but she chooses to see ahead. For the mighty one has done great things for me, of all people. Holy is his name. This is not just a nice song. It's not just a nice song that Mary sings. This is deeply personal. Sometimes when we worship, whether we would admit it or not, we kind of go through the motions. We sing the songs because we should, because we're in church, and that's what you do in church. You sing some songs. And we might not always admit that, um, but sometimes we do. We sing these songs just um, going through the motions because of our circumstances or how we're feeling, or maybe because we've sung them so many times before. Sometimes it's just us opening our mouths. But this song, this song of Mary gets under our skin. This teenager, she outdoes us all. Because despite it all, it seems that she cannot help but sing. And her circumstance is not easy. I mean, let's not forget that or sugarcoat it. Can you imagine having to explain not only to your fiancé, but also to your parents, I'm pregnant. You know, it's not Joseph's. Uh, It's God's. And also, it is God. I don't really understand that bit yet. 
you know? And the thing is, she wouldn't have had to just do this once, you know? She had nine months of having to explain herself and of the ridicule and of the judgy looks and the sideways glances. We don't read about the judgy looks and the sideways glances in the Bible, but we're all human, so we know that they 100% happened. She didn't just have to say it once. She had to say it again and again. Her plans were thwarted. Her life interrupted. Everything turned upside down. She has no earthly reason to sing. But yet she does. She sings a song of astonishment and wonder. And she worships the God in her womb. That's a little uncomfortable, isn't it? But actually lots of the Christmas story is uncomfortable. Shepherds, unimportant nobodies, in charge of livestock, not stocks and bonds. Not important people. A spare room for the baby, not a palace. An unmarried teenage girl from the village. Mystics, essentially astrologists, some of the first people to come and see Jesus. When we, when we really think about it, none of it should sit with us comfortably. But yet we cozy it up and we turn it into something that's kind of fit for a Hallmark Christmas card. But Mary's song did not come from a Christmas card. It's not some twee verse that you're going to read inside. Her song is not comfortable. But it is the purest form of worship. Because she chooses not to be influenced by her natural feelings or swayed by her external circumstances. She believes, she chooses to believe and not just believe but also rejoice in what she has been told. The first human to encounter Jesus was Mary. She had nine months of encounter with the saviour of the world before anyone else had the chance to. This girl... She chooses to sing, and she sings defiantly in spite of everything. She sings out of pure joy and delight in God. Unbelief about what was happening would have said, wait, don't sing yet. Fear would have said, um, be quiet, be silent. But her faith couldn't be silent. Her faith caused her to sing. I think maybe some of you here have actually found it quite difficult to sing this Christmas about Jesus. Maybe you find yourself in that camp of finding it hard to sing about Jesus. I don't actually think that God minds that you find it hard to sing a little town of Bethlehem. But I do think he minds that you find it hard to sing. So I think that you can take heart from Mary in this song. That where our minds or our bodies, even our hearts, might find it hard to glorify the Lord. That there is a deeper part of all of us that is capable of praise. That is capable of worship. Of true worship. It's uncomfortable worship. But it's real. I listened 
listened to a talk recently by this guy. He's putting on a festival in England, um, and he's um, it's on this big estate. There's this like big fancy house and huge grounds. And he was with the couple who own this estate, and he was in their house, and he was trying to barter with them to get um, use of the house as well as the grounds. And he was thinking, it would be great if we could put some people up in this amazing house um, as well as using the grounds for camping. And so he asked them, and they were like, yeah, that's great, but we have one condition. And he was like, right, okay, I'm going to have to get my best like bartering face on um, and really do my best here to get what it is I want. So he's like, okay, what's your, what's your condition? And they said this, don't put any rich and famous Christians in our big fancy bedrooms. Put up the people who won't get any other holiday that year. Put up the people who aren't coming to say something important or sing or, or play. Put up those who won't get any other holiday that year. We sometimes do that, don't we? We elevate the already rich and important. Our media does it constantly. Sometimes we even do it in church. Shock horror. But what this couple are really saying is elevate the humble. Elevate the ones who are sacrificing something to come and be here. Elevate the ones that won't be noticed. Elevate them. And I think that that thought sits um, quite well alongside the rest of this song of Mary's because you see it's not just this deeply personal song of rejoicing, of Mary rejoicing in God and the wonder of his faithfulness and his recognition of her. This is a dangerous song of revolution. Seriously, it is. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean to say that it's dusty because the Bible is not dusty. The Bible is full of dangerous words. And we know that because we're choosing. If you're a believer here tonight, you're choosing to, to stake your life on it. This is a dangerous song of revolution. It it challenges the systems in Israel and also with us as well. It is a rallying cry for justice because it challenges the terribly rich and the terribly important who think that they've got it all right. You see, Mary wasn't just excited about having a baby. Mary was excited about the birth of a revolution. This is not just a normal baby shower sing-along. I don't actually think that those happen. I don't think they should. <laughs> Let's not make that a thing. Baby showers are bad enough. I didn't say that I lied. I love them. Mary, let's move on quickly. Mary is celebrating the release of an upside down kingdom through her own body. This is crazy stuff. Let's read on. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation, as in it doesn't stop. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever 
just as he promised our ancestors. This song of worship suddenly develops a bit of an edge. The promise is that God extends his mercy. More than that, actually, God comes and inhabits mercy. He becomes mercy. But as he extends his mercy, he does something else. He also scatters the pride. God lifts up the humble and the lowly, the unseen and the unlikely ones. But as he does that, he also brings down rulers, the the power-hungry the advantage takers, the ones who are out for themselves. He fills the hungry, provision. But he sends the rich away empty, the ones who are relying on their own wealth and ability. This is no ordinary worship song. So much so that actually a few centuries ago when this song would have been sung in in cathedrals, it was only ever sung in Latin so that the ordinary people that were there, the ordinary congregation, wouldn't understand the words that were being sung. So subversive was the text. In fact, at least three different countries have banned the public recitation of Mary's song. These governments considered that this song's message was too dangerous to be heard out loud in the streets or in the churches. During the British rule of India, this song was prohibited from being sung in church. It was banned by the East India Trading Company, who weren't much up, as you might imagine, for the rich being sent away empty and the poor being lifted up. In the 1980s, um, Guatemala's government discovered that Mary's song um, about God's preferential love for the poor um, was too dangerous and revolutionary because it had been stirring among Guatemala's impoverished masses. Mary's words were inspiring the Guatemalan poor to believe that change was actually possible. And so they banned the public recitation of Mary's song. And the same thing happened in Argentina as well. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer recognized the revolutionary nature of Mary's song as well. And before he was executed by the Nazis, he spoke these words um, in a sermon during Advent, actually, in 1933. It'll come up on the screen, I think. The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, one might even say the most revolutionary Advent hymn ever sung. This is not the gentle, tender, dreamy Mary whom we sometimes see in paintings. This song has none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead a hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Our worship songs are great. They really are. And our government doesn't seem to be in the habit of banning songs these days. I guess they're too busy with messing things up elsewhere. But it kind of does beg the question, like, why not? Why, why not? What if the things that we said and did so challenged um, the unfair systems in our society that we started to get into trouble for it? Imagine if that started to happen. 
I'm not just talking about what we say and what we sing here. That's important. We wouldn't do it if it wasn't important. But actually, um, the way we speak and act, the things that we do when we're not here show who we really are and what we're really for. That's a sobering thought. I mean, look at Trisha, the video that we had on the way in. If you missed it, it's amazing. Check it out. Trisha let God have her heart. She said, break my heart for whatever you want. And he did. Because God tends to answer a prayer like that. It's a dangerous prayer. But that video is not the story of a woman who regrets letting God have all of her. It's a story of a woman who has found herself right bang in the middle of God's messy plan for those who are coming to our city from other places and who need to find a home. And she loves it. You only have to spend five minutes with Trisha to find that out. This song of Mary heralds a new reality. It's the mercy of God crash landing into our world. The mercy of God putting on skin and walking into the neighborhood. Into the most unlikely place, by the most unlikely means and rubbing shoulders with the very, very least. It's a celebration of the God who takes the initiative, who marches right in. This song tells us and reminds us, lest we ever forget that our God, this Jesus, stands staunchly on the side of the least and he wouldn't place himself anywhere else. Mary sings of this new reality before Jesus has even been born. And as he grew up, he enacted his mother's song pretty well because everywhere he went, he broke the vicious cycles of poverty and of bondage and of fear and of death. He healed and he transformed. He empowered men and women and he brought new life. But get this. When she sings this song of revolution, the promise that she sang of both to herself and to the world hadn't actually been accomplished yet at the point of her singing. The promise she sang of had yet to be accomplished at the point of her singing. She didn't wait until her faith was exchanged for cold hard fact to sing. She sang at the inception of the promise a song and a promise that would echo down through the years and is still echoing. It echoed in the streets of India and Guatemala and Argentina and it echoes here as well. We may be tempted not to sing until our hopes are accomplished, but Mary's song tells us something different. So what then for us? What do we do? I have a few thoughts, then we're going to sing, which seems like an appropriate response. Maybe you feel like your plans have been thwarted and your life interrupted. I think that Mary's song tells us, don't despair, even if all seems to call for despairing. Nothing had gone like Mary planned. 
If she can rejoice, then somehow we can as well. It might not be easy, but it's possible. Because this rejoicing is different. There is a vast, vast difference between rejoicing in God and rejoicing in your circumstances. Mary does not look to what is happening around her. If she had, there would have been a mix of things, some to rejoice for and some definitely not to. But she looks to God. Her soul rejoices in God, her Savior. Circumstances, good or bad, will never comfort or hold or fulfill us like Jesus can. That hope accomplished is Jesus. There will be many things that follow in the wake of it. The blessings that follow in the wake of Jesus are innumerable. But the hope accomplished is Jesus. So lift your eyes to him tonight, even if you're only able to flicker them towards him. That's enough for him. He takes whatever we give him. Maybe for other of us, other, others of us in this season of Advent, a season of waiting, it seems uh, like you've been waiting and waiting and still you have to wait some more. The promise has gathered dust and it's almost too painful to inspect again. So fragile, it seems. Maybe there's an impatience in you, a restlessness to see this thing done. Maybe the words, it's not fair, come very readily. I know they do for me. But I think God would remind us tonight that his promises are far from fragile. They are strong. They are robust. They are unfailing. And most importantly, they are his. They're not ours. They're not mine. They're not my promises. They are God's promises. Mary did not wait to sing. She sang for what was yet to be accomplished. It is so beautiful. And I think the same is asked of us, or at least offered to us as an opportunity. To have confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not yet see. Waiting, you see, is not a place of idleness. There are things to be done. There are opportunities to be taken. So maybe tonight you find yourself in the place of needing to sing for what has yet to be accomplished. And I think, finally, for some of us, this song is, is like the strike of a match on the wick of a fervor for justice. God has broken your heart for the lowly and the least. And I think what this song reminds us of is that God is on our side. God is on our side. Perhaps you've been doing it on your own um, or for so long that actually now you go after these themes of justice in your own strength. And perhaps you have even asked God if he cares about the thing which you have given yourself to. This Christmas, this Advent, come again and sing this, this song or your own song of revolution 
Come and find fresh strength again in these words that Mary sang about the God who is on our side, who placed himself very firmly on our side. I'm going to pray for us. If any of, um, if any of that is maybe hitting home for you um, and you would really appreciate someone to pray with you um, to just stand beside you and pray simply as you respond then our prayer ministry team are going to be over in that corner over there and they would love to just stand beside you in prayer Um, but also we're going to sing so um, that's a good response um, as well given what we've been thinking about. I'm going to I'm going to pray for us now and I'm going to start by reading this quote um another quote from from Bonhoeffer which is so good. I'm going to read the whole thing. So you might want to close your eyes a little portion of it will come up on the screen as well and then we're going to worship. God travels wonderful ways with human beings. But he does not comply with the views and opinions of people. God does not go the way that people want to prescribe for him. Rather, his way is beyond all comprehension, free and self-determined, beyond all proof. Where reason is indignant, where our nature rebels, where our piety anxiously keeps us away, that is precisely where God loves to be. There he confounds the reason of the reasonable. There he aggravates our nature, our piety, That is where he wants to be and no one can keep him from it. Only the humble believe him and rejoice that God is so free and so marvelous that he does wonders where people despair. That he takes what is little and lowly and makes it marvelous. And that is the wonder of all wonders. That God loves the lowly. God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings. God marches right in. He chooses people as his instruments and performs his wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, and the broken. God, we thank you that this is who you are. This is who you are. Will you forgive us for where we have forgotten that? Called you something else. Or tried to form you into our own version of what a good God would be like. You were good before we were anything. And you will remain good. So I pray for each of us, Father, will you come and and help us where we need your help. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit as our helper. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and help us. Will you come and help us now as we respond to you? whether we need um, to sing again for the hope that has yet to be accomplished. 
Will you come and will you help us? May I ask this in your name, Jesus. Because you are good and you hear us. So that's why we use your name, because there is power in it and because we're speaking right to you. Will you come and be with us? Amen.